That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you, and it's now official. Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. I was frankly surprised. What a sense of relief I was feeling when the election was finally called. It was like I hadn't realized how just wired I have been for the last four years. I really think that this is just an extraordinary release. I'm lacking words. The whole sense that the brutality the frankly evil, I, I, you know, there's not, I don't think there's a better word to describe it. The evil of the Trump administration is going to end in about seven weeks. You know, no more kids in cages, no more crapping on our allies and sucking up to dictators and strongmen, no more pretending that the virus isn't real, no more continuous lies. I mean, literally daily lies out of the White House and out of the Republican Party. Wow. Take a moment to celebrate and process, right? How is this affecting you? By the way, Joe Biden just finishing up a speech in which he is calling on Americans to wear a mask. He says, it may save the life of your pastor. It may save the life of of your kid's teacher. It may save save the life of the clerk who's stocking the shelves at the grocery store. Wear a damn mask. This is not political. He pointed out that the head of the CDC, I believe that was Dr. Redfield, about a month ago said that a mask, if everybody in America or a very large percentage of Americans, well over 90% of Americans, wore masks all the time when we went out in public, then that would actually be more effective than a vaccine. So Joe Biden is on it and he's put together his task force and that's really great news. Donald Trump is apparently devouring fast food at a clip that nobody's ever seen. Uh, Brad Reed reporting over at Raw Story. Well, actually, this is out of the Daily Mail, the, the British newspaper. The atmosphere in the White House has grown incredibly toxic. Trump says he's going to boycott Biden's inauguration in January. But here's where it gets really interesting. Insiders describe the, this is from the, from the uh, Daily Mail. Insiders describe the atmosphere inside the West Wing as manic, exuberant, energized, and toxic with some staff lighting rose-scented candles in an attempt to soften the environment and to combat the smell of fast food delivered to the president and his inner circle. 
One source inside the White House tells the tabloid that Trump is, quote, hell-bent on creating a narrative that the election was fraudulent and Biden is therefore not legitimate. Not a legitimate president, right? And meanwhile, you know, the, the report comes out, President Donald Trump is taking his show on the road. This is uh, Axios' is reporting. Team Trump from Axios. Team Trump is ready to announce specific recount teams and plans to hold a series of Trump rallies focused on the litigation. They're creating a campaign-style media operation. They're going to pump out regular press briefings, releases on legal action, blah 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 and a big push for money. This morning, probably around 5.15 in the morning uh, Pacific time, when I first logged in and checked my email this morning, and at that point in time, I had, I don't know, eight or ten emails from Trump and the super PACs associated with him begging me for money. And I delete them all. I mean, this has become my major effort whenever I open my email boxes is clearing out all the crap from the Trump campaign. It's incredible, these guys. And they're all, you know, and they all have pre-checked the little box. Make this a recurring donation. They are just lining up the suckers, right, the rubes. And, uh, you know, it's going to continue. You know, what's Trump going to do when he leaves? I, you know, he, obviously he's going to have lawyers trying to keep him out of jail. Ivanka is apparently discussing a reality TV show. Who's going to want to watch this stuff? Well, I, you know, I guess there was, uh, there was an audience for those guys down in Louisiana, Duck Dynasty. Although that was not so political. That was more just kind of cultural, you know. It's, but anyhow, the big news, I guess, and this is what's supporting the stock market right now. The stock market's up over 1,000 points. Why? Because Pfizer, one of the big drug companies, announced that, that their coronavirus vaccine trial is effective 90% of the time. Now, this was a, a group of a little over 40,000 people, and there were only 74 cases of coronavirus that popped up so far. But it looks like those people who got the placebo versus those people who got the actual virus, that there's a 90% blocking of the virus, which is extraordinary. So here's where it gets really interesting and kind of weird, I suppose. Mike Pence, who we haven't heard from since Tuesday, he's been hiding someplace. He tweeted this morning, huge news in all caps, right? Thanks to the public-private partnership forged by President Trump, Pfizer announced its coronavirus vaccine trial is effective, preventing infection in 90% of its volunteers. This will be one of the, and then Nikki Haley, right, who wants to be president or vice president. She tweeted, this is one of the most important action items done by this administration in response to this pandemic. So then Pfizer comes out and says, (laughs) not so fast, guys. This is uh, Dr. Katherine Jansen, the head of uh, Pfizer's uh, vaccine development office or whatever they call it. She told the New York Times. Quote, we were never part of Operation Warp Street. We have never taken any money from the U.S. government or from anyone. So Trump is trying to claim credit for a successful vaccine trial that he had nothing to do with. Literally, absolutely nothing to do with. What he could claim credit for is the spread of COVID. As Joe Biden, President-elect Biden, pointed out this morning in his speech, we are now over 100,000 new cases a day. Almost 10 million Americans are now infected. We may well be coming up on a quarter million dead. There's speculation that between now and Inauguration Day, another 100,000 people or more could die if we don't do anything, which is why Joe Biden was out there this morning saying, please wear a mask. He's, he's apparently making phone calls to governors and mayors all across the country trying to get a chorus together about masks. 
But when you look at where Donald Trump has gone with his uh, death and destruction rally tour, when you look at the county level data, the Center for American Progress crunched the numbers on this thing. What they came up with is that multiple factors show unambiguous increases in county level cases after rallies. And they looked at a whole bunch of cities, uh, Mankato, Minnesota, Henderson, Nevada, Londonderry, New Hampshire, Swanton, Ohio, Middletown, Pennsylvania, Old Forge, Pennsylvania, Newport News, Virginia, Vandalia, Ohio, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. In each one of these cases, after Trump comes to town and does his super spreader rally, there's an explosion in cases. It's looking increasingly like the two events that are largely responsible for this explosion all across the country are number one, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota where 400,000 people came to town and then left and went all over the country to spread the virus. And number two, Trump's rallies. Nobody else is holding these big public events. It's nuts. Tom Hartman here with you. I just followed Four Seasons Total Landscaping on Twitter. This is hysterical. Fellow tweets to Total Seasons. Their Twitter handle is Total Seasons. Tweets, uh, do you have any job openings for a receptionist? I'm asking for people named Kaylee, Ivanka, and Melania. Any one of them can start January 21st, maybe even sooner. They are all falling on hard times and could really use the job. And Four Seasons Total Landscape responds to the tweet. Thanks for asking, but our current receptionist pulled off one hell of a booking this week. So we're going to stick with her. (laughs) I love it. People are all upset about Trump not doing a concession speech. The Republicans in the United States Senate following the lead of President Putin in saying that uh, they're not going to call up Joe Biden and congratulate him until Donald Trump says to do so, until Donald Trump concedes, if he ever concedes. I don't frankly care. I don't care if the Republicans in the United States Senate follow Putin and Erdogan and Jair Bolsonaro and say, you know, we're not sure yet. Screw them. I don't care what they have to say. You know, at least with regard to this, I don't need any concession speech. You know, if he wants to go off and play golf every day from now until January 20, like he did all weekend, he played golf on Saturday, he played golf on Sunday. He'll probably play golf today. I mean, this is what this guy does. He plays golf, he eats hamburgers, and he, got, and, he, and, he, and he travels around on your dime. He plays golf at his own properties. He's transferred millions of dollars out of the public till, your tax dollars, into his properties. Because it's not just him who's paying to be at the property. It's all the Secret Service detail and all his staff and everybody else, and they're all paying his properties. The New York Times noted that He charges himself $3 for a glass of water at his own golf club. And you and I pay the bill. So, you know, he's doing that and he's playing golf and his super spreader rallies. So what? Right? Joe Biden doesn't need a concession speech from Donald Trump. At all, frankly. We just want him out of our lives. Just just leave. Right? It's just... It's pretty straightforward. This is the Tom Hartman Program.
On the line with us is David Daly. He's the author of Rat Eft, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, and Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. Former editor-in-chief at Salon. His work has been published in The New Yorker, The Guardian, Slate, and The New York Times. His most recent piece was for The New Republic. His Twitter handle, Dave Daly and the number three. Dave, welcome back to the program. Give us a, an overview or a, a quick primer on how the Republicans have managed to basically control or control as much of the House of Representatives as they do. Why is it that a state, for example, Wisconsin, that you know, the majority of the people who voted for a member of the House of Representatives voted for a Democrat, and yet the majority of their congressional delegation is Republican? It's the same thing in Pennsylvania, many other states. How did that come about? Oh, it's a great question, and I don't think you understand our politics today without getting the answer to it. After the last time a Democrat was first elected to the White House, knocking out a Republican, Republicans strategized and they said, how can we have a path back to power? And they settled on. You're talking 2008. Because this was 2008. This is 2008. Barack Obama is elected president. Republicans say, OK, that's a historic election. Sure. But the election in 2010 could mean more because we're going to redistrict everything in America after the census in 2010. So if we can win control of state legislatures in all of these swing states, we can have the pens in our hands when it comes time to draw these lines. Republicans drew the lines in in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Ohio, in Florida, in Texas, Virginia, state after state. They focused down ballot. They won those state legislative chambers, and they drew lines that have held and given them these huge advantages for a decade. And this is because the Constitution requires every 10 years there's a census. This year was one of those every 10 years, a year that ends with zero. There was a census. Trump has pulled the plug on it a little early, in my understanding. That census is going to determine how and where other states can continue this gerrymandering effort, this Republican gerrymandering effort. Not to say the Democrats don't do this, but the Republicans have turned this into a science and they've got big money from the Koch network and other right-wing billionaires behind them doing this. How do you think that this is going to play out? Do you think that there's any chance that when Joe Biden comes into office, he will be able to get Congress to go along with basically rebooting the census and redoing it? Or is that not even desirable? I don't. I don't think that is on the table, unfortunately. These lines are going to be drawn next year by state legislatures, largely a handful of states use independent commissions to to draw these districts. But Republicans had a really good election down ballot. Republicans kept control of all of these state legislatures in North Carolina, in Florida, in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania. They are going to be in the catbird seat when it comes time to draw the state legislative districts and also the congressional districts, which means that Democrats are probably going to be coming out of this with a six or seven seat advantage, a really thin advantage in the U.S. House. All of those districts are going to be redrawn largely by Republicans next year. It's going to give Republicans an extra advantage in the fight for the U.S. House. In 2022, so you think there's going to be 2020? A new- I'm sorry, you think 2022 think 2020- might even go Republican in the U.S. House? Well, you know, Democrats are going to have a six or seven seat advantage, which is pretty thin to start with. The midterm election, when you have the White House, tends to be a difficult election. 
But on top of that, the maps are going to change. So Democrats were able to pick up a couple of seats in North Carolina, for example, last Tuesday night. Republicans in North Carolina are going to redraw all of those districts, and those seats might not look the way that they did. There's going to be three additional U.S. House seats coming in Texas after apportionment determines how many congressional seats every state gets. Republicans are going to have complete control of drawing those. So even if you start just with those handful of seats, you are pretty much looking at a jump ball in 2022. It could it could well be this is like a speaker permanent Kevin minority rule. McCarthy. So, David Daly, how do how do Democrats respond to this? How, what can we do about this? We have got to have comprehensive democracy reform at every single level. So if that's what we want, the first step for this is winning these two runoff elections in Georgia, which will make the difference right. between absolute gridlock in the Senate and Mitch McConnell having a veto power over any agenda that Joe Biden and progressives are interested in working through Congress, that is absolutely on the line in January in Georgia. And then we need to understand that this minority rule has been deeply entrenched into the system through redistricting, through the courts, through the evisceration of the Voting Rights Act. And we have got to pass H.R. 1 for starters, which includes robust protections and independent commissions for redistricting. We've got to pass a fix of the Voting Rights Act and get preclearance back in there, which is what the Supreme Court gutted back in 2013 in Shelby County versus Holder. It gave Georgia and Alabama and Texas and North Carolina, all of these states that had had a history of racist prejudice in their voting laws, it gave them all the opportunity uh, to go ahead and do whatever they wanted. They had had to go to a court or the Department of Justice in Washington if they were going to make any changes to their voting laws. And as How soon does, as that provision was gutted, it was off to the races. Oh, I know. And we've talked about that at some length here. How does federal law change how states, how they do redistricting? That's, that's entirely up to the states, is it not? At this point, it is. However, under the Elections Clause, Congress could mandate that states use an independent commission to draw these lines. Really? Oh, absolutely. This has been left up to states, but we could certainly have. There is nothing in the Constitution that mandates that states ought to have to have that power. And states right. have abused that power for decades. And you're absolutely right. Both sides have done it. But well, it's for centuries. So much more Both parties and have abused this power. Absolutely. Dating back to the founding of the country, I mean, Patrick Henry trying to gerrymander lines in Virginia to keep James Madison out of power. But the big data and the sophisticated map-making software and just the granularity of it all right now, they're able to draw lines up and down streets that, that pluck in who exactly who they want in these districts and who they don't. And it has resegregated our politics in a dangerous way. Yeah. Wow. This is like last chance. And no doubt... The right-wing billionaires are going to be all over this thing in Georgia. But this might be oh, the last chance for right. democracy. Is that what you're suggesting? I think this is close to checkmate if we can't figure out a way to, to fix this. I mean, we are looking at a popular vote for Joe Biden that 
could end up around six or seven million votes. And yet he's going to win the White House by an electoral college margin of 73,000 votes. There's a lot that we have to fix. It's, it's truly remarkable. David Daly, the author of Rat f Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, and Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. David, thanks so much for dropping by. Good talking with you. Always a pleasure, Tom. My pleasure, too. I, I learned something. I appreciate that. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs, and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This book in the Tom Hartman Book Club is All Politics is Local, Why Progressives Must Fight for the States by Megan Winter. And this is from the introduction. On February 20, 2018, six days after 17 people were shot and killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, Representative Keon McGee, a Democrat from Miami, stood on the floor of the Florida House of Representatives. Looking on from the gallery above were Parkland students who had traveled over 400 miles by bus to Tallahassee through the hope of persuading their state lawmakers to pass gun reforms in Florida. McGee asked the assembly to vote on a bill that would have banned assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando, where a gunman had killed 49 and wounded another 53 people in the Pulse nightclub in 2016, had sponsored the bill, whose chances would expire unless the House bent its usual protocol and acted right at that moment. The shooting at Parkland demands extraordinary action, McGee told the assembly. He was trying a technical procedural maneuver, one that might have worked in an alternate reality without partisan politics. But everyone who understood what it meant that Republicans held a supermajority in the Florida Assembly knew what would come next. Richard Corcoran, the Republican Speaker of the House, interrupted McGee. A few minutes later, the House voted on a party lines, 71 to 36, not to consider the assault weapons ban. In the gallery, students began to cry. On Twitter, student leader Emma Gonzalez wrote, the anger that I feel right now is indescribable. Something unusual was happening. 
With their eloquence, temerity, and rage, the Parkland students had seized national attention. Major news networks and papers dispatched reporters to cover their calls for change. That week in February, even before knowing that hundreds of thousands of students nationwide would soon walk out of their schools and through the streets, the American public paid attention to what was happening in Tallahassee, Florida. And yet from another advantage, the scene in the Florida Capitol that day was not at all unusual. In state houses, it is not uncommon to watch someone sit before a panel of elected officials, hold up a placard of a dead child killed by opioids or lack of insurance or a gun, and plead for the passage of a bill that will inevitably not move out of committee because it does not fit within the political calculus of the Assembly's leadership. In those hearing rooms, ordinary people often share in breathtaking impotence. Three weeks before the Parkland students arrived in Tallahassee, for example, the Florida Senate Judiciary Committee discussed the Rule of Law Adherence Act, which would have required all local government officials, explicitly including employees of the state university system, to turn over information about immigrants to federal immigration officials. The bill was similar to those shopped around the country by the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, an organization that since the 1970s has written experimental conservative state legislation. Alex's corporate members included GeoGroup, the largest provider of detention services for immigration and customs enforcement, ICE, and a major donor to Florida Republicans in Donald Trump's presidential campaign. In 2016, the federal government decided to stop contracting with private prisons because the Department of Justice investigation had found they were unsafe. But after Trump's inauguration in early 2017, GeoGroup received $774 million worth of contracts to run federal prisons. On January 30th, 2018, the day that the Florida immigration bill was considered in Tallahassee, so many people showed up that the hearing room reached capacity. Muslim students and Latino farm workers and their teenage children who had traveled hours to testify against the bill were not allowed into the packed room. Expressionless, they watched the proceedings on a television mounted in a hallway as Florida Senator Aaron Bean stood at the podium and said that his bill means criminals will be kept off the streets. The bill did not advance in what counts as a victory, in part because in 2011, immigrant rights groups staged weeks-long protests in Tallahassee to oppose a bill modeled after the Arizona's 2010 law that allowed police officers to ask for immigration papers if they suspected someone was undocumented. The Florida legislature didn't pass a new aggressive anti-immigration law until 2019 when it gave the state the power to sue local law enforcement that refused to detain people according to orders from federal immigration officials. The next day, January 31st, Floridians concerned about sea level rise arrived in Tallahassee by the busload to ask their legislators to pass a raft of proactive climate change bills. Many were college students or recent graduates who had grown up along the coast and understood that the window of opportunity for stalling climate change was rapidly closing. During their lifetimes, they told me, their hometowns would be radically altered, if not sunken. By the end of the legislative session that March, none of the bills they wanted were passed. Even though just 10 years ago, it was all but mandatory for both Democrats and Republicans in Florida to at least make overtures about the need for proactive environmental laws. Similar scenes play out in hearing rooms across the country, usually unrecognized by the American public. Beneath the tumult of the Trump presidency, state lawmakers have largely kept their course. As Alex's own website explained in 2017, quote, state legislatures around the country have made significant progress passing bills on issues such as immigration, policing, and health care, even as Republicans in Congress and President Trump have struggled to make similar progress 
at the federal level, end of quote. After decades of state-based campaigns coordinated by libertarian and Republican operatives and disinvestment in the states, right-wing politicians have swept control of state houses. All politics is local. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's up? Tom, amazing grace, how wonderful it is. Indeed. I knew we were going to win because the country was divided and we had the bigger half. But what I wanted to say, Tom, you know, every Sunday I always sit down for an hour and prepare for your show. You know, what, what can I contribute to Tom Harmer's show, you know, the following week? And I just sit down and then write down things and brainstorm. And I got to tell you, this weekend, something I wanted to make a note of. Number one, the Democrats need to know that they are nothing without the progressive, number one. Number two, the road to the White House for the Democratic Party is through the Blue Wall State. If you look at the map 2016 and the map now, it's very similar. The only difference, the blue state. So we need to put some money together and flip these state houses from red to blue in this blue wall state. It's very important yeah, that we you. do that. Yeah. And the second thing and the is that— the have been doing um, this for decades now, you know, working at the state it, level. They've, they've created organizations in every one of the 50 states. They're funneling money into these things into the state legislatures. There was a huge effort to do this in 2008, between 2008 and 2010. After the census of 2010, they could gerrymander these states. Back to you, Omar. Yeah, absolutely. And the second thing I want to talk about is that we have to figure out a way to, this election system that favored geography over population is not a democracy, Tom. It's not no, a it's democracy not a at all. Yeah, and we have to figure out a way to change that. And I think now that we dealt with Trump on November 3rd, now we're going to deal with Biden on November 4th, as far as making sure that Elizabeth Warren is the Treasury Secretary. She needs to be the Treasury Secretary. There's no negotiating under that. We progressive, we were quiet when Bernie didn't win presidency. We were quiet when she was not a VP. We're not going to continue just to accept yeah, the, everything. The Washington Post today has a front-page article about the wonders of this person who's a member of the Fed Board of Governors. I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head, but in fact, it was the first time I'd ever seen her name. She's just, you know, this obscure person, but she's on the front page of the Washington Post today as, you know, the leading candidate for the Treasury Secretary, which, and she might be great. And I don't know if Elizabeth Warren wants the job, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, indeed, that, that's going to be a time. massively important job. I mean, in these towns where there's people going through financial difficulties, the one person who wanted to get it is Elizabeth Warren. She understands. And the other thing is, if the Republicans start complaining about the debt, Biden should just increase the taxes on the rich. You know, they made a wrecking profit in this coronavirus, and they can afford it. You know, so... Yeah, well, he's already uh, said I he's going to do that. By the way, if Elizabeth Warren leaves the Senate, mm-hmm. I believe Charlie Baker is the name of the governor of Massachusetts. He's a Republican. That's right. And he gets to appoint her replacement. That wouldn't be, you know, short-term politics speaking. That would not be a good thing, particularly if we can flip those two Georgia seats and take control of the United States Senate. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tom. And the last thing is that, you remember when Ben Franklin was asked whether we have a democracy or a republic, monarchy or republic? This election proved that we have a republic, despite the Supreme Court being a monarchy. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Omar. Good thoughts all. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. You will recall back in June when Donald Trump was, I'm not sure that was the exact month that he was gassing people. I think it was a little later than that, but it might have been. 
In any case, there was all this talk about invoking the Insurrection Act. This is a law that was passed in 1807, which outside of the Civil War has not been used. And basically what it did was it allowed the federal government to militarize civilian areas. And Mark Esper said uh, he was the Secretary of Defense until just a few hours ago. Trump just fired him. Although, you know, on Friday I reported on this program that there were reports that Esper had already written his resignation letter. Apparently Trump uh, wanted to fire him on Twitter before the resignation letter arrived, Trump being the ass that he is. But anyhow, Esper said, this is what he said in June when Trump was talking about the Insurrection Act, or, or people around him were anyway. He said, I oppose invoking the Insurrection Act. I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. He is out on his keister. Donald Trump is not paying for the Wisconsin recount. Wisconsin charges $3 million bucks to whoever asks for the recount. And the Trump campaign is like, eh, not so much. We'd rather just whine about it on social media. We'd rather just crank people up about it on Facebook. So, yeah, meanwhile, down in Georgia, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, has said, hey, it's the open enrollment period for Obamacare. Let's kill it. Honest to God. And the Trump administration gave them a waiver that would allow them to do it. The same day open enrollment opened, Donald Trump announced a waiver for Georgia, allowing it to scrap the use of the healthcare.gov website, which is the marketplace for the plans in the state. So now if you want to get an Obamacare plan in Georgia, you're going to have to go to an insurance agent who will sell you something that they will make a commission on. Simo Verma, the director of uh, Medicare and Medicaid services, said, the Obamacare exchanges have not worked for Georgians. Today's approval of the state's waiver will usher in a groundswell of health care innovation. The reality is that uh, Georgia's uninsured rate was 18% before Obama came in. Now it's 13% because they didn't expand Medicaid. So Brian Kemp is trying to push that back up to 18 or 20%. So one in five Georgians will not have any health insurance. Meanwhile, the Republican Party... This is probably the most shocking piece of news I saw over the weekend. If you cause somebody to commit a crime, like if you incite a riot, you're responsible for that riot. Similarly, election fraud is a crime. If you incite somebody to commit election fraud, you are guilty of the crime of election fraud. And the Minnesota Reformer, a a newspaper in Minnesota, is reporting that Jennifer Carnahan, the chairperson of the Republican Party in Minnesota, This from a piece by Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos. Minnesota Chair, GOP Chair Jennifer Carnahan appeared on an invite-only Zoom meeting with Republican activists on Thursday night, that would be last Thursday, and told them that the party would back their play if they made claims of ballot fraud, even if there was no basis for those claims. She told the Trump activists that this wasn't just a Minnesota thing, but a plan from RNC Chair Rona McDaniel, Mitt Romney's niece. McDaniel put out a request for, quote, GOP officials around the country, end quote, to recruit Republicans to make false claims of ballot fraud. She said it would make clear the party would amplify any claims of ballot fraud. A reporter for the Minnesota Reformer became aware of the Zoom call and was able to listen in on it and listened as, you know, the Republicans are trying to do election fraud. 
What can we expect as we go into this next year or these next four years? This is an interesting compilation. If you look at the worst and best, you know, what's been going on with Democratic presidents and Republican presidents since 1920, let's look at the last century, the last 100 years, from 100 years ago to today. All Republican presidents, and by the way, Republicans controlled the White House 51% of the last 100 years. Democrats had it 48%. It was 51.75% for Republicans. So functionally 52%. So a little more Republican rule than Democratic rule. All of the Republican presidents from 1920 to 2020 produced a net total of 29 million jobs. Sounds pretty good, right? For a, over a 100-year period, all the Republican presidents produced 29 million jobs. What's the number if you look at all the Democratic presidents? And keep in mind, Democrats controlled the White House for less time during that 100 years than Republicans did. 85 million jobs. That's pretty mind-boggling. That's a 55.9 million job, roughly 56 million job differential there. We were talking last week about Hispanic or Spanish language broadcasting. And the New York Times caught up with this over the weekend. Patricia Mazzi and uh, Nicole Pelroth writing the headline, False News Targeting Latinos Trails the Election. And uh, Robado, they falsely repeated again and again in Spanish. Robado means robbed. We were robbed. And they went on to say, uh, President Trump was robbed of a victory. He had won Arizona. George Soros was funding violent Antifa riots. This is all, they write, in the Washington Post, part of a disinformation campaign to undermine Latino confidence in the vote as it unfolded. Ahead of Election Day, false news in Spanish tried to turn Latinos against Black Lives Matter and tie Mr. Biden to socialism, tactics that experts say could depress the Hispanic vote. Now that the voting is complete, the rampant falsehoods have only garnered larger audiences including among immigrants less familiar with the institutions of American democracy. The gist of the falsehoods is that the election was rigged against Trump. This is from this Washington Post piece. It appeared Facebook and Twitter might have overlooked the deluge of misinformation targeting Spanish-speaking Americans. Spanish language accounts with huge followings falsely said that Mr. Trump had secured an early victory, that social media was censoring his win, and that Biden was cheating. It just goes on and on. I mean, all the details. A lot of this is coming out of the country of Colombia with a right-wing government and buddies of Donald Trump. Spanish language stuff. It's amazing. The writing is this uh, top newsletter from the far right for the rest of us. And it's just a summary of all the hard right headlines. Over at Newsmax, the headline, Trump can still win. Over on Fox News, we still don't know who won the election despite what you've been told. That's from Newt Gingrich. Over on American Greatness, no one knows who won the election. On the Gateway Pundit, this election is far from over. PJ Media, Comrade Biden show is already kind of creepy. American Thinker, it's possible that the election fraud is way bigger than we thought. Washington Examiner, Trump campaign staffer claims to have statistical evidence of fraud in Wisconsin. And this is from Red State, right? I mean, by the way, Red State and uh, Daily Caller, these are the, quote, news organizations that Facebook and Google have elevated to being credible news organizations, whereas places like Raw Story or Alternate have been, uh, progressive websites have been demoted. Mother Jones was demoted on these platforms, cost them big bucks. So anyhow, Red State, the headline, Pfizer announces big vaccine news, and it sure looks like they purposely waited until after the election. 
right? And it just goes on, you know, all this, you know, kind of pathetic grievance stuff. So last note, Judge Cynthia Diane Stevens of the First District Court of Appeals in Michigan rejected the Trump campaign's effort to halt the counting of absentee ballots in that state. This is what the Washington Post notes. In that case, a Republican election observer said she'd been given a sticky note by an unnamed poll worker alleging that late arriving ballots were being counted improperly, but she couldn't provide the poll worker's name or any other proof. They went to court on a sticky note. Oh, and I just noticed my email box. I've got two more fundraising, begging fundraising things from Donald Trump. This one here. I need you right now. Fred, the blatant voter fraud through corrupt Democrat-run cities is unprecedented. The left has proven that there's nothing they will not do to rip power away from the American people. When they come after me, they're actually coming after you and everything you stand for. This election isn't over yet. We have a long way to go, and I know I can count on you. I'm putting together an election defense task force made up of my strongest defenders. I'm calling on you to step up and join. And let's click the link. Please contribute $5 immediately. See, they use the, the amount that I contributed back in 2015. And so I click that link and it takes me to the Trump Election Defense Task Force. And sure enough, the little boxes that say make this a weekly recurring donation and donate an additional $5 automatically on 11-11, they're both pre-checked for the kind of sad, pathetic Trump humpers who believe that this is a real thing rather than a grift to get more money out of you. When they uh, go over and try and contribute their five bucks, they're going to discover that their credit card is getting dinged every week for into infinity. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what is the opinion of our resident former intelligence analyst? Relief, relief beyond belief, Tom. I don't know if you're familiar with the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. That kept going I through am. my mind. And I was like, I mean, I may sound a little overly dramatic, but let me explain why. I mean, we literally as a nation dodged a bullet. And if you've ever mm-hmm. dodged a bullet... You know, that relief is so sweet. And then following that relief is fear. You don't ever want to get in that situation again, right? Fear and vigilance. And this is what I'm worried about because, look, experts were coming on saying that, like, you you mentioned Bolsonaro and also uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the Sunni Arab leaders that would not congratulate Biden, but they congratulated other election winners. But then they said because they are so beholden to Trump, because Trump pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and allowed Israel and its Arab allies to contain Iran. Well, that sounds reasonable on the surface, all right? But like I said, Trump put the United States of America in the marketplace of dictators. And let me tell you how dangerous this is. For instance, I saw a big, huge Biden sign from the people of Armenia in support of Biden. And it took me a while to dig. What Russia is doing is they're using Syrian mercenaries in Armenia or in Nagorno-Karabakh. Okay, and this is Russia's problem that they've had. Russia has no strategic depth. All right. Since everyone likes to hate on Russia, let me tell you Russia's problem. They know it and I know it. They have no strategic depth. They have to use surrogates to keep integrity, to keep their borders, you know, and Russia's a huge country. They have no allies, really. Let's take Mohammed bin Salman. 
he offered to pay, or not him specifically, but Saudi Arabia offered to pay Americans mercenary salaries before in Desert Storm for a million American soldiers is not a huge amount of money for Saudi Arabia. They get a lot of bang for the buck. That's yeah, a billion it, dollars. It's a day's revenue. Right. If the Arab allies offered mercenary fees to Americans, a Trump administration would jump on it. The problem is Russia would use that. They would use that as an excuse to supersize. They supersized in Syria, and I'm telling you from experience, you're just going to take my word for it, they are going to supersize in Iran because they lack strategic depth, you see. They need Iranians to forfeit their lives to fight Americans. But they have to have a reason, right? They have to have a reason. And a king of Saudi Arabia paying American mercenaries and Donald Trump there's more than enough reason for them to do it. And this so that's what you saw coming if Donald Trump got reelected, that we would be uh, shoveling American, unemployed Americans into the Middle East for a war on behalf of Mohammed bin Salman? Well, and you've said it before, Tom. I mean, you said it before. I'm just trying to add to what you said. You cannot sell American foreign policy. It's, it's the Trump first foreign policy, not the America first yep. foreign policy. Yeah, I'm with you. Dave, well said. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Max in Clackamas, Oregon. Hey, Max, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I'm doing really good. I, I have a feeling that you're doing pretty good. Extra, extra good today, too. You mentioned the Civil War. Andrew Johnson was the president after Lincoln, and he went down in history as the worst president ever. And most historians, I think 45 will probably take that crown shortly. Um, oh, yeah. But one of the failures of Reconstruction was that in the South, right after the Civil War, you had black representation in the state houses. Like, I think a state had a black governor for the first time. It didn't happen again for like a century. So my question is very specific. What should a Biden-Harris administration, especially Harris, who is a female woman of color, a former prosecutor, no less, how should they go after these domestic terrorist groups like, like the Proud Boys, these Trump humpers, so to speak, that are especially here, like in Salem, down in Salem, Oregon, Oregon's capital, they rally, they intimidate voters. I mean, they're, they're terrorists. In these movements, and, and, you know, and we saw this back in the 60s on the left, you know, with SDS and the Weather Underground, within movements that have political rights of free speech in the United States, the groups that you named, for example, yeah. there will be, or there are apparently people who are engaging in terrorism. And, and we've seen this. I mean, you know, they've, they've killed more people than Muslims have killed in the United States. And everybody's still fixated on Muslim terrorists. It's, you know, it's, it's been white terrorists in the United States. And they try to but that the doesn't governor. mean that you, that you specifically go after the groups. You go after, although I'm guessing the FBI has got them under close observation, but you go after the terrorists in the groups. And this is, again, it's going to be a real interesting moment to see if some of these groups start purging themselves of the crazies among them and start taking yeah. a little more rational position because because they didn't get their civil war. And so now what are they going to yeah. do? Well, if they want to continue to be players in the American political drama, they're going to have to clean up their act. And if they don't want to be players in the American political drama, if they instead they want to continue going down kind of a Tim McVeigh route, they're going to end up in prison. Yeah. We should be looking at these folks at the individual level. You know, I get it that the FBI was all over all of SDS back in the day. I've probably got a huge file. Several friends of mine I know did. They actually sued to get their files. I never did. But it was the Weather Underground that was blowing things up and that killed a few people. 
And I think it's the same thing here. There's a delicate balance. You know, it's like when the when the ACLU supported the Nazis in Skokie, Illinois. There's a delicate line, a subtle line between basically going after anybody and everybody or going after people who actually represent a real threat. What a day, huh? What a day. George in Garden City, Kansas. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? The time remaining Trump has in office, what kind of damage can he, can he really do? I mean, what else can he screw up? Right now, he's got this person, Emily Murphy, who is the administrator of the General Services Administration. The GSA handles providing the transition from one administration to the other so that the staff necessary for the transition and the offices necessary for the transition and even phones and computers and things, they can all be acquired and and hit the ground running. And she's refusing to sign the uh, document that would uh, make that transition convenient. That's kind of unfortunate. You know, I think he could do an awful lot of damage. The question is how much of the damage is irreparable. If he gets us into a war in the next two months, that might be irreparable. We've got a couple hundred thousand dead Americans. That's pretty irreparable. Um, A lot of people who are getting, you know, 10 million Americans infected and those people who are symptomatic have, depending on the study you're looking at, between a 30 and 70 percent chance of long lasting effects that include heart disease and dementia. That's irreparable. But uh, did you have something specific in mind, George? In general, Tom, I was just hoping he'd stay on the golf course now, the White House until the 20th. Yes, please. Uh, let's, we you know, maybe we should all send him hamburgers and, and golf balls or something. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm with you, George. George, i got to move along, but thank okay. you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Jessica in Springfield, Illinois. Hey, Jessica. This is probably the happiest that I've been in four years, but we do know that 70 million people voted for Trump this election. I don't know if their ideology and cult-like behavior is going to disappear after Trump, and so I'm wondering how do we handle this? And also on a personal level, I'm finding it somewhat difficult to forgive the people who voted for him and what they put the country through. So how can society and individuals heal? First of all, we need to realize that the algorithm that Facebook uses and to some extent Twitter, but Facebook is the big the big one here, that the algorithm that they use increases the probability of conspiracy theories taking hold and rooting themselves in the minds of people. It's just the way it works. It's designed essentially to build outrage. You know, our social media really needs to get their act together. And Zuckerberg, you know, his, all his private dinners and stuff with Donald Trump. I'm hopeful that somebody is going to look at that. I realize he owns the majority of Facebook stock, so he kind of rules it like a king. But, you know, there is that. And number two, for the people that have supported Donald Trump, we need to say to them, essentially, you've got to stop supporting Nazis. You've got to stop supporting politicians who who talk about sexually assaulting women. You've got to stop supporting policies that are destructive to average working people and only help fossil fuel billionaires. I mean, you know, that has been the the legacy of this administration. That's been the core of this administration. And I really think that we need to be speaking out in those terms. Thank you for the call. Robert in Greenville, North Carolina. Hey, Robert, what's up? Uh, Feeling a lot better than last time I talked to you, Tom. (laughs) <laughs> Ditto. I, I can't believe the difference the minute the announcement. But we did figure out a few things. We can overcome voter suppression now because we got to go to mail-in ballots 
and hopefully right. paper uh, ballots. We'll have a, we, we won't have a, yeah, we won't have a crook. If we yeah. could develop a nationwide, you know, if nationwide, if we in every state, there should be a movement to go to vote by mail. We've had this here in Oregon for 20 years. There have been in that entire 20 year period, I think 13 cases of people impersonating other, you know, of what you might call voter fraud. It's non-existent. There is an absolute paper trail. There are no voting machines that can be manipulated or reprogrammed or run on a black box you know, system. Every state, this is something you know for local activism for you, Robert, there in, in North Carolina. Every state needs to go to vote by mail, entirely vote by yes, mail. Yes, and so also convenient. That, that, that prevents right. the voter suppression that they can put on us. That's right, because you learn five weeks before the election when your ballot doesn't arrive if you've been purged from the voting rolls, rather than discovering it the day that you show up to vote and they say, oh, well, you're not on the list, but here's a provisional ballot that won't be counted anyway. I mean, but yeah. They were going yeah, further absolutely. than that, cutting out, like in Texas, taking boxes to put your votes in, taking them all away. You're right. And, yeah, and, and closing polling places. On, on all the, all the uh, areas where you can vote, they make it more difficult yep. for the poor people. You're absolutely right, Robert. We absolutely have. Robert, that's such a brilliant point. Thank you so much for calling and making it. And one that we really, really need to be focusing on. Let's see here. Russ in Pacifica, California. Hey, Russ, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I really enjoy the show. One thing that's been on my mind is that what if he tries to plead insanity, claiming that he thought this, uh, this whole experience over the last four years was kind of like a, a reality show. You may have mistaken the whole thing as a reality show and saw all the cameras and just kind of uh, didn't mean, any, mean anything he said at all this whole time and kind of just chalk yeah. it up to that. How does he plead insanity for 40 years of tax fraud? Tax How does he plead in, insanity for 26 different charges of rape and sexual assault? I guess that's probably, you know, he could, he could say that he's got a an insane sexual pathology or something. I don't, I don't know. But, but Russ, I, I really believe that he is going to be, uh, uh, he's going to try and, and paper his way, the phrase when you use lawyers to try to prevent problems, he's going to try and paper his way out of all the criminal challenges that he's going to face after the election. I don't think it's going to work. And I do think, and I continue to say this, I've been saying this for months, I think he's a flight risk absolutely think he's a flight risk and i think that you know we need to consider that russ thanks a lot for the call jack in culver city california hey jack what's on your mind today my idea on the voter right amendment would be to have it centralized tied into the social security and the post office department so the one centralized voters row instead of signatures for each person have the uh thumbprint Instead of a signature. For your identification. Yeah, the signature is pretty straightforward biometric way, but the problem is they're so easily challenged. You know, thumbprint, I, that would require thumbprinting, you know, millions and millions of Americans. That's not going to happen, and that would freak out people who are freaked out about Big Brother, and maybe, you know, with some justification. I can't think of an, an alternative. I mean, we've been using signatures now for probably well over 100 years. If you have a driver's license, you get some printed. Uh, not here in Oregon. In California, you do. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I, I have not been fingerprinted or thumbprinted or any printed by the state of Oregon, and I've had but driver's licenses here twice. A social security number, then you're on the voters' roll. It's one centralized 
role. That should be the criteria, because the Social Security Administration knows who's a citizen and who isn't. They basically keep track of everybody in America. So, you know, that would be the, the place to go when you're compiling a list of eligible voters. We should probably get on one of the authors of H.R. 1 to talk about that, you know, because I, I learned something from Dave Daly that, that, you know, federal government can change the way states redistrict. That's pretty shocking. I did not realize that. Um, so step by step. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind? How is it that you and I and my husband and everyone else is paying for the water that Donald Trump is drinking at Mar-a-Lago? What sort of law or bite does White House have? How does that work, that he can do that? The way it works is wherever the president goes, he has to bring an entourage with him. He's got a couple of staffers who travel with him. He's got the guy who carries the nuclear football codes with him. They call it the football, the nuclear codes. He's got his Secret Service detail. And wherever they go, they've got to eat, they've got to sleep. And if they go play golf, they've got to pay admission fees to the golf course. So when Trump and his entourage go to a Trump property, the Trump property bills the federal government for all of their expenses. And that's why we pay $3 a glass for water that Donald Trump is drinking and that everybody who's working with him is drinking to Mar-a-Lago. That's how probably well over $100 million of our money has been transferred out of the federal treasury into Trump companies over the last four years. It's been a huge boon. And he bragged about this before the election, you'll recall. He said he would be the first person to make money running for president. He has done that. I am convinced. Yeah, it so that's just how it seems works, to me. It just seems to me that there should be some sort of a law that he can't charge people for the water he drinks out there of our is. taxpayer money. It's the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which makes it illegal for the president to benefit in that way. And he's been violating that ever since he first went into office by holding on to his companies, because Trump has spent literally a third of his presidency at Trump properties. We have been paying the bill ever since. Carol, thanks for the call. Daryl in Danville, New Jersey. Hey, Daryl, what's up? This election has exposed the Republican uh, 
fidelity to the Tenth Amendment and states' rights. It's all just, it's all a fraud, and it's always been a fraud. It's always been about race and white supremacy. They, oh, ne- they never care about For 150 years. I mean, where in the Constitution does the federal government get to decide how states run their elections? The Constitution, it says that the legislatures of the states can decide how they deal with their electoral vote. And that part, I think, needs to be changed. And the states, you know, have the power to run the elections. There is an election law. And this is something that I'm not as well educated about as I need to be. There is federal law, there is precedent, federal precedent, and the Help America Vote Act of 2002 is probably the most visible part of that for the federal government to assist the states in their elections. So the federal government might be able, you know, just like with the interstate highway system, they can assist the states. They would have to have the permission of the states. But they can't tell them how to, what software they should use. They can't tell them, you know, whether they should count mail-in ballots first or last. That's the state's decision. And so these people who are, who, who are states' rights people who agree with Trump are hypocrites. Yeah. The other, I, the other I, thing, Tom... I, I agree. Yeah. Trump is, on the one hand, he's a buffoon, but he's also an autocrat. And when I see him fire Mark Esper, who was against sending federal troops into Seattle... And hiring this guy who I don't, I've never heard of, all I know is he ran the uh, National Counterintelligence Center. But, I mean, it's just odd to me that he would make this move after the election. For what purpose? Revenge. Trump has, has said on numerous occasions that uh, revenge is his, is his number one thing. Daryl, thanks for the call. Uh, win in Solon, Maine. Win, we have a little less than a minute. You got a quick one? Yeah, I do have to take a quick one, Tom. First of all, I experienced quite a bit of relief, as did you, and I hope most of America, upon the election of Joseph Biden. Yeah, and I just wanted to let you know that the use of a Social Security number for means of identification is always and forever against federal law. 1935 Social Security Act. That's correct. Never to be used by yeah. now that that could be amended though, Win. That could be. I mean that's not a constitutional principle. So that, that law could easily be amended. But I'm with you and I'm not in favor of uh, necessarily using social security numbers as a form of identification. But the Social Security Administration does know whether you're a citizen or not. And they do have records on basically everyone in America, which would create a good federal database of registered voters. Whether that's a good thing or not, we can debate. Anyhow, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, with a more ongoing conversation of the weird show going on in Washington, D.C. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it, because democracy is not a spectator sport. We'll see You've you been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 